Well, hey, Grace Chapel, good to be with you all on this fine spring Sunday. Pay no attention to the snow outside. They're playing baseball tomorrow at Fenway Park, so (laughs) spring is coming. Hey, once again, before we get to the message, we have yet another exciting announcement to make, so give me a moment or two. After many, many months of prayerful searching, the Lord has led us to our next Watertown campus pastor, so we'd like to take a moment and introduce him to you. Pastor Stephen is originally from uh, Uganda. Stephen Nakairu is his name. He's from Uganda. He grew up in a pastor's family there. Through some rather difficult circumstances, he came to the States as a teenager, singing with the African Children's Choir. He found his way to Seattle Pacific University, where he graduated in 2000 with a degree in biblical studies. From there, he made his way across the country here to New England to Gordon-Conwell Seminary, where he earned his Master of Divinity degree, and then a Master of Theology degree on top of that, and then a Master's in Broadcast Journalism from Emerson College as well. Now, during his years in seminary, Stephen served part-time at the Chinese Christian Church of Brookline, and then later at Tremont Temple, uh, right downtown. And then for the past 10 years or so, Stephen has been lead pastor at the United Church of Shirley, Massachusetts, and he has brought new life and vitality and fruitfulness uh, to that church. Now, Stephen is no stranger to Grace Chapel. During all his seminary years and many of his ministry years, he's been a regular attender at GC at night, where he would come for encouragement and worship, and actually helped to found our young adult fire ministry a handful of years ago when that started. Stephen is a true shepherd. He cares deeply for his flock. He loves to open the scripture and create rich spiritual environments. He has a great heart to see the people of Boston come to know Christ, and uh, he is eager to get started. So his wife, Rebecca, teaches second grade at the Park Street School downtown. They are eager to get settled in Watertown and get their ministry going. Now, Stephen can't be here today. He's finishing up with his church at Shirley, and he wants to start next week being with folks in Watertown. So he sent a brief greeting by way of video. So let's allow him to say hi for a moment. Hi, my name is Stephen Nikairo, and this is Rebecca Nikairo. Hi, and this is our girls. This is Grace. Say hi, Grace. Grace is a year and a half old, and this is her new baby sister, Emma. Emma is a month and a half old. And I'm excited to be the new campus pastor in Watertown, but even more excited that we get to find our goat together. We've met some of you. We met the leaders. We met most of you in the congregation, and we're really, really excited about hit the ground running so we can really work together and discover our gifts and talents to do what God has called us to do. We love Grace Chapel and feel right at home here. Stephen would come here in the evenings when he was a pastor out in Shirley, and on our first date, he was so excited bringing bring me Grace Chapel to hear Pastor Brian preach. So we um, just love being here. And hi, Watertown. We can't wait to see you. We're looking forward to meeting all of you and spending time with you. Okay. How, how about that for a first date? Come here, Pastor Brian, preach. I mean, <laughs> guys, that'll take you to the house right there, man. Go for it. So we're excited. Well, here we are. Final week of the Roots Challenge. You're going to make it. The finish line is in sight. And I hope it's been a great experience for you. I truly do. I hope that you've had some, some meaningful encounters with the Lord as you've been learning to hear his voice and follow his lead. And I hope that you've made some deeper connections with some fellow travelers in your roots group or your life community. 
Maybe you're beginning to discover your purpose in life, God's unique call and gifting on your, on your life. Maybe you're finding some new freedom from some sin or struggle that you've finally surrendered to the Lord. Maybe at long last you know what a matutu is, a Kenyan bus, if you've been wondering what that's all about in the Mizizi readings. Whatever the particulars of your journey have been, I hope and pray it's been a great, great journey for you and that you're sensing new strength and vitality to your walk with the Lord. But however positive this experience has been, a time is coming when it's going to get harder. One of these mornings, the alarm is going to go off and you're not going to want to get up for some quiet time with the Lord. You were up late working the night before or the kids kept you up half the night and you're just not going to feel like it. If you do get up, you're going to be tempted to uh, get a head start on your emails first or maybe check your Facebook and you may never actually get around to the scripture for the day. When you bow your head to pray, a voice in the back of your head is going to say, who are you kidding? There's no one listening. Uh, this isn't accomplishing anything in your life. And besides, you've missed three days in a row anyway. What kind of a Christian are you? The point I'm trying to make is that a time is coming and maybe has already come when the going is going to get tough. And that's what week 10 of the Roots Challenge is all about, the journey ahead. And it turns out the journey ahead is not always an easy one. If you remember, we began the Roots Challenge with the inspiring image of a tree planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither. It comes right out of Psalm 1. It's a beautiful, inspiring picture. But it's not really a complete picture, is it? I mean, sure, on this particular day, the sun is shining brightly, the air is calm, the water is flowing gently by the base of the tree. But what happens when drought hits and that riverbed is dry as dust? What happens when the wind comes howling down that valley, tearing at those limbs and leaves? What happens when winter comes with its killing cold, when bugs and blight make themselves at home in the branches of that tree? See, trees have enemies forces that, that rob it of life and vitality and fruitfulness. And it turns out that Christ followers have enemies too. Powers that come against us, that, that keep us from flourishing. And so this week, in the final week of our Mizizi readings and groups, we'll be learning about three of those enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's how they're traditionally known in the church. Some quick definitions. When the Bible talks about the world, it's not talking about the physical earth. It's not talking about the human race. It's, it's talking about ungodly systems, ungodly values and behaviors that, that rob human beings of life and joy and the peace that we were meant to experience ungodly systems that tell us we have to be rich or successful or famous or thin or married or single or hip or whatever it is if we want to be happy. It's the world that tells us we're, 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 we're too busy to 
join a small group, or we're too cool for a youth group, or we are too old to serve in kids' town. The world is always tearing at us. The flesh refers to our fallen, sinful tendencies and weaknesses. We're made in the image of God. We were designed for glory and goodness, but we so often settle for so much less than that. We settle for lust instead of love, and for getting instead of giving, and for pride instead of humility, and for our way instead of God's way. And we become our own worst enemy sometimes. And the devil, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the devil is one of the many names the Bible gives to our spiritual enemy, Satan, the accuser, the destroyer. Now, sometimes we struggle with the notion of an actual physical evil being at work in the world. But when we stop and consider the awful things that human beings can do to each other and to themselves, how else do we explain it except to believe that there is a malign spiritual presence at work in human hearts and in this world? So the world, the flesh, and the devil our enemies. Now, sometimes in church, we sing songs that have kind of military themes to them. Uh, armies and victory and conquest and armor, whether it's onward Christian soldiers from generations ago or, oh, church, rise and put your armor on or something like that. It's important to remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood. People are not our enemies. Not people of other faiths, not people of no faith, not people of other nations. People are not our enemies. Our enemies are principalities and powers, spiritual forces that work against God's work in the world. And the world, the flesh, and the devil are three of them. So I'm not going to spend too much more time on them today because we'll be reading and talking about them in this final week of Roots. Instead, I'd simply like to prepare us for the journey ahead a journey that is going to get tough at some point along the way, if it hasn't already. Now, we're all familiar with the expression, I'm sure, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Or maybe one of the variations on that theme, when the going gets tough, the tough go shopping. <laughs> or drinking, or jogging, or whatever it is you do to escape. Well, let's try a little bit dif different spin on that expression and Ask ourselves, what do the tough do? What do we do when the growing gets tough? When the growing gets tough. I mean, if we're meant to be like trees planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in our season and whose leaves do not wither, what do we do when the stream dries up? Or when it's not our season or when our faith begins to wither like leaves after a first frost. So to answer those questions, I'd like to take you to a letter that was written to some Christians who were facing tough times. It's a letter we call Hebrews, and we find it in the New Testament section of our Bibles. So we're going to jump into the middle of that letter towards the end, actually, Hebrews chapter 10, and see what we can learn about going and growing when times are tough. So let me pick up the reading at verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. 
A little background will help us here. We don't know exactly who wrote this letter. Might have been Paul the Apostle. Might have been Apollos, the preacher. Might have been Barnabas, the encourager. Some suggest it could have been Priscilla, the teacher. We really don't know who wrote the letter. And we really don't know who they wrote the letter to. To Christians, obviously, but whether they were in Rome or Alexandria or Jerusalem or Ephesus, we just don't know. The one thing we do know is that this letter was written to Christ followers who were discouraged. Now, they were Hebrew Christians, hence the name of the letter. These were Jewish people who had come to embrace Jesus as their Messiah. But because of that, they were facing all kinds of persecution on every front, from the Romans, who considered them to be a threat, and from Jews, who considered them heretics, and from Greeks, who simply considered them weird for the things they believed and the way they lived. Now, we're not quite in that kind of a circumstance, but we know a little bit what this is like, right? Do people ever think you're weird because of the way you live and the things you believe? Do some of your relatives think you're a heretic because you've abandoned the family faith for this cult called Grace Chapel? Do you ever find people feeling uncomfortable with you socially or at work because you take your faith so seriously? It's not always easy. Now, for these Hebrew Christians, their, their persecution really did make life difficult for them. People wouldn't do business with them, wouldn't hire them, wouldn't buy and sell from them. Their children were not welcome in the local school where all the other kids learned. Socially, they were shunned by friends and by family. And so they were discouraged. In fact, they were so discouraged, it seems, that some of them some of them were attempted to give up. Some were, were beginning to drift back into that old Judaism because it was more familiar and more comfortable. Some of them were just deciding to kind of go underground with their faith, just keep it on the down low and life would be easier that way. And some of them were actually giving up on Jesus altogether. And so this writer to the Hebrews, whoever he or she was, writes this letter to encourage them not to give up, not to give in. They were off to a great start. This is no time to go back to some old way of living when a new and living way had been opened up for them. And so the first thing the writer tells them is that when the going gets tough, when the growing gets tough, the tough draw near. In other words, when the, when the growing gets tough, the, the, the tough don't don't run, they don't hide, they don't go shopping, they draw near, they dig deeper, they reach wider for connections. To put it another way, they return to their roots, to those fundamental beliefs and practices that bring life, that sustain them and give them strength and fruitfulness. Remember, we learned in week one that the life of a tree begins and is sustained underground in the root system. And so when the river dries up, up above, the roots can find moisture beneath the soil. 
And when the wind howls overhead, tugging at those limbs and branches and leaves, the, the roots hold that tree firmly in place. And when winter hits and the valley is a frozen wasteland, those roots beneath the soil are quietly doing their thing, anticipating the next growing season. The same thing can be true for us when the going and the growing gets tough for us. It's not a time to give up. It's not a time to give in. It's a time to draw near, to sink our roots deeper and wider in search of nutrition and, and the moisture that can give us life. And in particular, the writer says, it, they draw near to God. They draw near to God. Let's keep going in verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The writer is reminding us that, that God is the source of, of vitality and strength and fruitfulness. And so when the growing gets tough, the tough draw near to God. Which means... The morning you're finding it hard to get up for devotions is probably the morning you need it the most. When the Lord has something important or special to reveal to you that day. The season when you're finding it so hard to pray because it seems like your prayers are going nowhere and that life is getting harder instead of easier, that may be the very season that God is preparing you for something new in terms of growth and fruitfulness. The times when you are least wanting to, to draw near to God are the times perhaps we, we, we most near, need to draw near to him. When you're, when you're feeling like the miserable, weak failure, like the weakest Christian to ever walk the face of the earth, that may be the time most of all that the Lord wants to reveal to you how much he loves you and wants you to be his child. I want you to notice how the writer contrasts the, the old way of, of relating to God based on keeping the law and this new way of relating to God based simply on faith in, in Christ. The new way is so much better than the old way. Under the old way, only the high priest could enter God's presence. That's all. And only once a year. And only with fear and trembling after a series of elaborate sacrifices and ritual cleansing. But this new and living way is so much better. It's available to everyone. It's available every day. And, and there's no more sacrifices or, or ritual cleansings that are needed. Our great high priest, Christ, has taken care of all of that. By his death, he, he paid the price for all of our failures. His blood washes us clean. We are, we are, we are free. We are forgiven. And so we can approach God with confidence, the writer says, with full assurance that we'll be received no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. I remember preaching on this passage many, many years ago as a young preacher. And I was really eager for folks to appreciate this new and living way. And so I took a really long time defining all the Greek words in the verses. And... Um, explaining all the different sacrifices and cleansings that the Old Testament folks would go through. And then I explored with them the various theories of the atonement, substitutionary and vicarious, and it was really exciting. 
I just wanted them to understand how much better this way was. Well, after the sermon, an older gentleman came up to me, and a great older man, he's a blue-collar guy, he taught junior high Sunday school for years, and he said to me, thanks for explaining all that, but I've always figured it was just like the way a little kid runs and jumps in his daddy's lap because he knows he's going to be loved no matter what. Well, yeah, like, <laughs> you, you could say it's like that too. And I have never, ever forgotten that little image when I come to this passage in Hebrews. Running and jumping into your father's lap, knowing you'll be loved and welcomed, received, whether you need a big hug or a good cry or a pat on the, on the back of the head, whatever you need. And if you haven't had a father like that, then there is a father like that, a heavenly father, and that's how he welcomes us. That's how freely and confidently we can come into God's presence, no matter who we are, no matter where we are on our journey, no matter what we've done or failed to do, no matter how we're feeling about God and life at the moment, no matter how long it's been since we've been there. And so when that alarm goes off in the morning, it's not a reminder to fulfill another religious obligation. It's a reminder that your heavenly father is waiting for you to come jump in his lap before the day begins. And when Sunday rolls around again, it's not just another thing to check off your spiritual to-do list. It's an invitation to spend a morning or an evening with the king of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, the giver of all good gifts, the shepherd of your souls. And when Holy Week comes with its sacred spaces and special services, it's not a week to be weirdly spiritual. It's a week to focus our minds and hearts on the most beautiful life that's ever been lived and the most transformative death that has ever been died and the only resurrection the world has ever seen. That's what it's about. And so when the going gets tough, the tough take advantage of every opportunity to draw near to God. And if it happens that it's been a long time since you've done that, if you've missed a lot of morning quiet times, if you've skipped a lot of Sundays, know that when you finally do come into his presence, he's not there with a wagging finger saying, where have you been? He's there with open arms saying, it's so good to see you. Let's pick up where we left off. So as we look to the journey ahead, beyond roots, let me encourage you, keep on showing up. Even when it's hard, even when there's all kinds of reasons perhaps not to show up, even when you're feeling hurt or angry or confused, draw near with confidence and full assurance that the Lord is ready and willing to meet you right where you are now and provide what you need for whatever the next leg of your journey looks like. But it turns out it's not just God we draw near to. There's something else the writer wants to tell us about. Let's skip down to verse 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. It seems that these struggling, persecuted Christians we're finding it easier not to get together. 
Now, maybe they called less attention to themselves that way. Or maybe they were uncomfortable being together because they knew they were beginning to drift a little bit. Or maybe they weren't in the mood for singing happy songs or listening to sermons when life and faith didn't seem to be working so well for them. Maybe they just preferred listening online in their pajamas. Yeah, that was a joke. They couldn't do that then, okay? It's a long time ago. So the writer reminds them that they not only need to draw nearer to God when times are tough, but we need to draw near to each other when times are tough. They needed to strengthen each other and support each other and remind each other who they are and what they believe and why they're here in this world in the first place. It's tough to battle the world and the flesh and the devil by yourself. So when the growing gets tough, the tough draw near to God and to each other. Let me bring you back for a minute to that beautiful picture we looked at earlier of the, of the tree planted by streams of water. Now, as inspiring and beautiful as that picture is, it's not a completely accurate picture of the flourishing Christian life. And do you know why? It's alone. It's isolated. Now, it's beautiful, and it's doing fine at the moment, but it's vulnerable to all the forces that would tear it down. I think I told you I did just enough research on trees to be dangerous. One of the things I learned is about those redwood trees of California. They are, of course, known to be some of the tallest trees on the planet, growing to 300-plus feet, like 30-plus stories tall. They're not only the, some of the tallest trees on earth, they're some of the longest living trees on earth. These redwoods routinely live to 600 years. A thousand, even 2,000 years is not unusual. Now you would think that trees that grow that high and live that long must have roots that go really, really deep. But that turns out not to be the case at all. Redwood trees actually have very shallow roots. But what those roots do, instead of going deep, they go wide and entangle themselves with the roots of other redwood trees. And they form this enormous interlocking underground system of strength, stability, nutrition. Now, I look this, this is not just a preacher illustration. This is real, okay? <laughs> it really is true. <laughs> The secret to their great size and presence and longevity is that they don't grow alone. They grow together. You rarely see a redwood tree by itself. We need each other if we're going to make this long journey. We need to draw strength from each other and to encourage each other, especially when times are tough. When we're feeling weak, others can be strong for us. When we don't feel like singing happy songs, their songs can lift our spirits. We need each other. I have a little confession to make. It's kind of embarrassing. As we were getting ready to start the Roots Challenge uh, back a few months ago, Karen and I were actually not in a group 
Now, our, our life community of some 12 years had just kind of recently come to a close, so we found ourselves groupless at the moment and unfortunately really had not done a lot about it. So we're starting Roots, and we're not even in a group. Well, that first Sunday, Karen happened to be uh, helping out down in Kidstown, and she bumped into some neighbors of ours, a couple from our, neighbor, from our neighborhood, who had been recently coming to church. And he happened to notice that she had a Mizizi book under her arm. They said, oh, I see you're doing Mizizi. Are you, are you guys in a group? She said, well, you know, not, not exactly. <laughs> and he said, you want to be in a group with us? Now, you got to love a church where the new guy invites the senior pastor <laughs> to join a small group, right? Talk about spurring one another on to love and good deeds. So we did. We were meeting with them on Sunday afternoons, and they're newer to faith and newer to church, so they're enjoying our years of experience with the Lord and our knowledge of Scripture, and we are loving their, their enthusiasm and their eagerness to grow in faith and, and to explore the Scriptures. It's been so good for both of us. Friends, we need each other. We've been learning these past few weeks that the, the church is like a body, and every part matters. You have a unique contribution to make. Your personality, your perspective, your life experience, your spiritual gifts, your temperament. We, we are not the same body if you're not here. We're, we're not as strong as we could be. We're not as beautiful as we could be. We're not as fruitful as we could be if you were here with us doing your part, and you're not either. So as we look to look beyond this roots challenge, can I encourage us not to give up the habit of meeting together? And that begins with Sunday. Churches across the country are reporting this declining attendance pattern in their churches. Every pastor I talk to is talking about this, even from their most committed members. People who used to go to church three and four times a month now are going two or three times a month and sometimes even less than that. That's not a good pattern for you or for your church. Every Sunday we're here, we're putting our roots down just a little bit deeper. We're making our connections just a little bit stronger every Sunday. And I know it's great to be able to watch online when you're traveling or you're homesick or something like that, and I encourage you to do that. But it is not the same as being in the room, seeing the faces around you of people who care about you and are following Christ, hearing the voices of people who can lift your spirits, sensing the movement of the Spirit in a moment of worship or teaching or response. It's not the same when you're not here for you or for us. And since we're at it, can I spur you on to, to spend more than just an hour on Sunday morning or evening? An hour is great. Worship is really important. But why not stay for that second hour? Take a course that will deepen your faith, your knowledge of the Scripture. Find a place to serve so that you're using your gifts to build up this body. Hang around in the lobby or the cafe and introduce yourself to people who look lost. It takes time for roots to absorb moisture and, nutri and nutrients from the soil. And it takes time for love and truth to work its way into our hearts. The more time we spend together when we have the opportunity, the richer it is. And even though our roots challenge is coming to an end, I hope you will not give up on the connections that you've made. 
If, if your roots group or life community is not going to continue or if, if you need to find a different time or location, then, then do that. Let us help you find a way to stay connected. Don't do this alone. And it could be that after all this, you're, you're, you're ready to become a member here at Grace Chapel. There's something powerful about making a public commitment to a body of believers. It does something encouraging to your heart and to our hearts when you do that. We have some classes happening this month about that. So you get the idea. It's, it's been a great journey that we're on, and I know you're going to finish strong in this final week. But we also know that the real finish line is still a long ways off. The Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. And the world and the flesh and the devil are going to be dogging our heels every step of the way to trip us up, to get us off course. And there's more than one heartbreak hill out in front of every one of us. But the good news is that we don't run this race alone. In chapter 12, the writer tells us that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, fellow believers who are running the race with us or cheering us on from heaven. He reminds us that our champion is leading the way, Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He's promised to bring us across the finish line with him someday. And so let us run with perseverance this race marked out for us, remembering that when the going and the growing gets tough, the tough draw near to God and to each other. And as it turns out, we have a wonderful opportunity to do that as we finish this service and this series, as we come together in these closing moments around the communion table. So let's bow and pray for a moment as we prepare to do that. Lord, we are grateful for this journey we've been on these many, many weeks. Thank you for the lessons we've learned, the truths that we have embraced, for new practices in our lives, for stronger relationships, for decisions that have been made, for freedom that's been found, for a sense of calling and purpose, all the good work you've done in our hearts. We know there are challenging days ahead, but we're so grateful that your spirit is at work in our hearts going with us and that we have one another to look to. So we pray that you will bring to completion this good work you've begun in our hearts. And pray now as we gather together around the table, may we have a great, great sense of your presence and of our partnership in the life of the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.